What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Working with intention means that we're allowing our soul to drive. So the idea is that we want to get our ego mind in the back seat. It's still a great navigator. It's co-creating with us, but we want our soul in the driver's seat. So we want our soul to be guiding us. And by doing that, we have intentions that we're setting and we're working with our highest self to really be who we are in this dimension and to have our life purpose come to fruition. And so when we quiet our soul's mind and we let the ego mind drive, it's a a little bit like letting a two-year-old drive the car because we want to be able to be in our highest self here in our purpose and allowing ourselves to be in the flow of life and also being who we really are here in this dimension. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome to today's episode of The True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora, and I have with me today, Beth Bell. Beth is a relationship transformer and a psychedelic spokesperson. She hosts the Psychedelic Sages podcast and advises CEOs and psychedelic pharmaceutical companies. And she has a new book out called Angels, Herpes, and Psychedelics. Very interesting. Hi, Beth. Thank you for joining us on the True Fiction Project. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And I cannot wait to understand about your journey of awakening and providing this spiritual toolbox through psychedelics. I have to start with the name of your book, Angels, Herpes, and Psychedelics. To me, those are three different things perhaps coming together in one. So what is it about? Yeah, they are three very unique words normally put together, but they are put together because they have such an important impact on my life and my journey. So if I were to sort of sum it up, I would say that angels are always around us, whether they're in physical form or in the paranormal realms, but they're always here to guide us. So that was why angels really came onto the title. When it came to herpes, one of the things that I realized was that there's a huge virus out there and it's the virus of the mind. And the viruses of our mind create a lot of trauma. And they also have an impact on how we live our lives. So herpes, there is some really juicy stories in the book, but it's also about the viruses of the mind that we want to overcome. 
And when it comes to psychedelics, they became one of the massive awakening agents that I had on my personal spiritual awakening journey that really summed up everything that I had learned along the way in my deep dive of spiritual lessons and journey. Very interesting. Now, when I think about psychedelics, I'm thinking of the Beatles and mushrooms and all sorts of other stuff. It's interesting to hear you talk about putting that together with a virus of the mind. What do you mean by that? And can you give us an example that you have perhaps elucidated in your book? Well, we all have trauma in our life. So oftentimes our big traumas happen when we're little and we don't even know that they're traumas. So things take place that create a thought loop within us. And that thought loop is in our subconscious mind a lot of the times. Sometimes we don't even know that we've had a trauma happen to us. And so it often takes our entire life to figure out some of these traumas. And sometimes we leave this lifetime not knowing. So there's a lot of viruses of the mind that come in based on our upbringing, our social programming, our culture, our parents, our schools. And so there's a lot of ideas that we start to take on as belief systems. And the idea here is that we want to start to unravel the mind and release these ideas and release these viruses of the mind that are no longer serving our higher good. So they're often hidden. And it takes us a while to get to them. And it is part of the awakening journey. So that is an interesting point. I mean, when you talk about belief systems and you talk about schooling and culture, these are the things that really shape our identity. Whoever we are, wherever we're from. Are you saying then that this should not be the case? These are viruses of the mind that need to be unraveled through psychedelics? Well, actually, I'll, I'll back up to say that it's not that they need to be unraveled through psychedelics. Psychedelics can be an awakening agent that helps people to do this. But there are a plethora of other modalities that I describe in my book that can help you unravel these thoughts and these ideas that are no longer serving your higher good. Look, some of them actually are very helpful. We know that the default mode network can be helpful in the sense that if we go touch the stove, we know it's hot. We don't have to go do it again. So there are programs that serve us and do well for us. But it's the limiting belief programs that we want to eliminate and unravel. And those are the ones that are often playing in the background that we don't know about. And so through a plethora of different modalities, we can unravel and get to those really core wounds and trauma that made us not feel good or know who we really are at the core of our being. So can you give us an example of a limiting belief pattern that helped, cured, unraveled, however you would like to say it, through psychedelics and angels? Well, one of the things, you know, there's a lot of different things that my parents said, and, and I actually have a great relationship with my parents. I think that they meant well. I think a lot of people's parents mean well, but they have lines that come in, you know, whether money is the root of all evil. Well, there's a lot of connotations that come in with that idea. And unless we unravel that and say, well, no, it's actually not money that is the root of all evil. It's our lens in which we look at money and the power and control that can come along with money. So it can install in someone that making money isn't a good thing or people who make a lot of money are bad or have bad intentions or aren't here for the good of humanity. So there's some really, you know, little things sometimes that can come into our consciousness 
that plant some really significant seeds that actually have a negative outcome for us in the long term. Work hard, be humble. You know, that was my Midwestern upbringing, and it was very much about working hard. Well, the nature and the law of abundance isn't about working hard. It's about working with intention, which doesn't mean that we're not doing things and participating. We are. But when we're in the flow of life, then abundance can come easily. Okay. So I'm trying to understand this. What is the difference between working hard and Mm. working with intention? And how can psychedelics or angels or both help me distinguish between the two? Well, there's a lot in that question because working hard means that we're working based on our ego mind's thought process. Mm -hmm. Working with intention means that we're allowing our soul to drive. So the idea is that we want to get our ego mind in the back seat. It's still a great navigator. It's co-creating with us, but we want our soul in the driver's seat. So we want our soul to be guiding us. And by doing that, we have intentions that we're setting and we're working with our highest self to really be who we are in this dimension and to have our life purpose come to fruition. And so when we quiet our soul's mind and we let the ego mind drive, it's a a little bit like letting a two-year-old drive the car because we want to be able to be in our highest self here in our purpose and allowing ourselves to be in the flow of life and also being who we really are here in this dimension. What do your people, your people, meaning your clients, the people you've interviewed, the people on your podcast, whoever, what have they experienced through psychedelics or through angels or both? Well, that's a great question. And it's through angels that I think we really start to feel a guidance of our higher self. But it wasn't until I had a psychedelic experience that I understood what that embodiment of that guidance would feel like. And so that guidance is really allowing the soul to drive our life as opposed to the ego mind to drive our life. And I'll back up a little bit to say that I am the least likely person to have ever thought that I would do any form of illegal drugs. In fact, there's seven things that I said I would never do in my book, and I've now done them all, and taking illegal drugs is one of them. So I'm a very particular person about my journey, my spiritual journey, and psychedelics was something that was an absolute no-go for me. And it wasn't until a friend of mine who had been diagnosed with cancer tried a psychedelic and had an incredible experience that changed the trajectory of her life. Now, even at that point, hearing her stories, I still said, yeah, I don't need this. I felt that my awakening journey had been so profound with all the different modalities that I had partaken in that losing my mind or hallucinating would be the farthest thing from my mind that I would want to do. And what ended up happening is through my journey, I became known as what you call a flower whisperer, where I was able to hear messages from flowers, but come to find out that it was really the universe's sneaky way of getting me to meditate. And so as a result of that, I started to understand the power of Mother Nature and living in Bali. It really opened up a whole new idea of what energy is and how it impacts us and what it's like to be in touch with our soul. So when it comes to psychedelics, I started to get introduced to plant-based medicines. And since I knew the power of flowers, I knew the power of Mother Nature, it eventually became something that I said, wait a second, I think there's something here for us. And so I had an opportunity to try a plant-based medicine. And when I did that, 
it was the first time that I was able to apply all of the learnings that I had from A Course in Miracles and all of these different modalities to experience what it's like to actually have that ego mind in the back seat, which means that we quiet the mind so that we can actually hear our soul's guidance, which is allowing the soul to drive. And I also believe that what we've experienced with COVID and everything that's happened through this was that opportunity to sit within the four walls that we have and really identify who is driving our life. Is it the ego mind or is it our soul? And so the challenge that I like to put out to others is who is driving your life? And psychedelics is certainly one way that people can find out more about listening to their soul on a much more profound way. But there are many, many other modalities that can help you get there as well. So Beth, this is all so interesting and very different to what we hear about, you know, when we talk about health and healing, things like that. This idea of becoming a flower whisperer, that happened to you in Bali. How did it happen? Can you share with us? Yeah, I was actually in the middle of my corporate life. I was working in the big pharmaceutical industry and I knew that I needed to meditate. It was really, really clear that meditating was something that was going to help me, but I could not do it. If I sat for 15 minutes, I ended up at the end of that going, there were so many things I could have gotten done. And so it just so happened that I was actually on a trip in Hawaii. I had a beautiful camera that I had just purchased and I started photographing flowers really close up. And I did this for hours on end. It was this mesmerizing experience where I was able to just get in contact with an energy source that just quieted my mind. So I look back and think that was the universe's sneaky way of actually getting me to meditate through observational flower photography. And so once I started to, to tap into that, I started to realize, oh, this is how I can quiet my mind. So it became more of a modality for me to quiet my mind and to really get into the flow of my soul's plan as opposed to my ego's plan. And so that really catapulted over the years, the flower whisper and really then tapping into mother nature as I lived in Bali for five and a half years and ran a business there. So it's an interesting progression of events that's happened on my awakening journey that has helped me really understand more about the soul and how we live through the soul's plan, not the ego mind's plan. Okay, so if I understand correctly, then, is it your soul or our soul that has the ability to talk to flowers? And what kind of conversations can we have with flowers? What can we learn from them? What have you learned from your conversations with flowers? Well, it's actually not so much a conversation as it is a way to get into an energy, a vibration that quiets your mind so that you can hear your higher self or your soul speak. So it's not so much that it's a, a back and forth conversation for me. For others, it may be, but for me, it's not. It's more of a way to get into an energy that quiets the mind. And that's also something that psychedelics do is it quiets the default mode network and it allows your soul to come through and speak to you in ways. You may, some listeners on the show may, may have had experiences where they just have something, they go, oh, I just, something's just come to me and I just know that it's true or I just know that I need to do this or I just know that I want to, move in that direction. But they don't necessarily have all the facts and data as to why, but they just have that feeling, that innate feeling. And a lot of times that's your soul speaking. That's your soul's guidance. That's your soul saying, take this leap, take this jump, take this risk. And oftentimes we don't take it. And why? Because of fear. Fear holds us back. Our ego mind steps in and says, 
oh, wait, no, you don't have all the reasons, rationale for why you should do that. And that's based on the social constructs and the ideas that's out there in our external environment that say, no, don't do it. You're out of the grid. You're off the norm. This isn't normal. Don't go away from what the group is doing. It's the ongoing fear of breaking away. And so that's why a lot of times people don't take these intuitive risks. They live a, a more cookie cutter life. Not everyone, but people don't want to break out, but yet they still have that deep inside themselves, this burning fire, this, this yearning to do something. And it's the fear that holds them back. Yeah, we're often told, trust your instinct, trust your instinct, but we don't because of, as you say, fear and societal pressure or conformity, you know, this idea that we must conform. Let me ask you, you mentioned your friend earlier who went through a transformative experience, your friend who had cancer. Can you illustrate another one or two examples from either your book or your practice or your personal life that really took you in this direction as something to do occupationally? Well, because I came from big pharma, I think the people in my, from my big pharma days wouldn't believe what I'm doing today. And the people today can't believe that I was ever in big pharma. I was an executive in marketing and strategy for pharmaceutical products and women's health. And through the many years now as an entrepreneur living in Bali, creating my own product lines and being on my own spiritual journey, I've really had the opportunity to see life very differently. And I feel very compelled at this point to really bring forward psychedelics as awakening agents. It's about shifting the narrative that we learned so strongly in the 60s and 70s about this is your brain on drugs when the egg hit the frying pan. And so it's really a, a beautiful, I couldn't have built a better strategy or business plan for myself to really be able to incorporate all of my pharmaceutical background and knowledge and everything that I know on the awakening journey to really help psychedelics come onto the marketplace. Because as we all know, the COVID-19 has given us all opportunities to go deeper into ourselves, understand ourselves more, understand our pain points. And some people are taking it and heeding the call and really healing some of their inner wounds and trauma, and some aren't, and they're suffering. And there's a lot of mental health. There's a lot of mental wellness. And that's where I think psychedelics can really come in and be part of a solution for people to not be in the suffering and to be in love with life and living their life's purpose and passion. And so psychedelics are something that I feel called to really help shift the narrative around as awakening agents and not what we know of them from the 60s and 70s. So what is that difference? Of course, you know, most of us think about psychedelics with what we know from the 60s and 70s. We have been told that that is shifting, but is it really shifting? And how can you point out an example? Well, it is really shifting. There are over 250 proper psychedelic pharmaceutical companies, many of which that are actually traded on either the Toronto Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange. And they're really looking at the molecules from Mother Nature and studying them. They're moving into phase three trials. I think by 2023, we'll start to see approvals, possibly for MDMA, possibly for psilocybin. We're also seeing the regulations in Colorado and Oregon are taking psilocybin, which is the magic mushroom. You know, they're no longer illegal. So there's a lot of shifts and changes happening. And we're going to start to see more and more discussion around 
how psychedelics and probably more specific MDMA, psilocybin, LSD, how all of these are awakening agents and they are helping to shift the mental states of individuals who are in deep suffering and needing help. I love it. So Beth, what we're going to do is we're going to take this interview and give it to somebody from our roster of fiction writers to listen to. My question is, if you could give that writer a fiction writing prompt, what would it be? If you can think of something. I guess what comes to mind is that everything is an illusion. Everything is an illusion. It is a big part of the book of unraveling the mind to unveil illusions. In the meantime, where can our listeners learn more about your work, what you do, your website, or anything you would like to share? BethBell.me is a wealth of information. There's also an Awakening and Healing Handbook, along with a Five Pearls of Wisdom workbook. So it's really about helping people to awaken to who they really are. And so BethBell.me, I'm on Instagram at QueenBlissB and YouTube at BethBellLive. Fantastic. I think we all need to think about learning how to awaken to who we truly are. Beth, thank you so much for being a guest today on the True Fiction Project. Thank you. That is Beth Bell. She is a relationship transformer and a psychedelic spokesperson. We'll certainly be talking to her again on the True Fiction Project to learn so much more about the wonderful work she does. In the meantime, stay tuned for this piece of fiction. I am your host, Renita Hora. We have to talk about our show. Okay. Who are we? What do we do? Ha. I am Martha Madrigal. And I'm Charles Tyson Jr. We are the hosts of Full Circle, the, the podcast. podcast. You are a beautiful white trans woman. I will take that. <laughs> of a certain age. And you are a gorgeous black cis pan man who has shared my life for 10 years. And we're engaged. I put a ring on it. Yeah, you did put a ring on it. It's a pretty ring, too. <laughs> now yeah. we have a podcast. Yeah, there's not much we don't talk about here. It's true. We talk about LGBTQ issues, headlines of the day. We talk about fun things, too, like movies and music and television and pop culture. Mm-hmm. And we talk about what it is to be black in America and what it is to be trans in America and how those things intersect and collide. And, and child, it gets interesting. And you can check us out every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Because once again, we're Charles Tyson Jr. and Martha Madrigal, and this is Full Circle, the, the podcast. podcast. Are we done now? I think so. Okay. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. And this is What She Learned from the Flowers. Serena tosses and turns next to her husband, Gerard. Despite the body heat, their bed is cold, and she cannot get comfortable. Spring has come to Hanover, but tonight, Serena and Gerard still need the heater. After what feels like hours, Serena falls into a deep sleep. She dreams of flowers. In the dream, she can smell the jasmine, lavender, and rose. She can taste the sweet nectar of honeysuckles sipped directly from the bloom. 
and she can feel the soft petals against her skin. Of course, Serena can see the colors too. Bright yellows, soft pinks, and whites. The way the lavender field creates a carpet, purple majesty. Strangest of all, Serena can hear the flowers. They whisper to her in silky voices, undecipherable. The next day, Serena wakes before the alarm instead of snoozing it like she usually does. As the sun rises through her window, she consults her day planner. She grimaces at a meeting, then, inexplicably, closes the book and smiles. Serena opens her laptop and sends an email. Satisfied, she returns the blue suit she laid out for herself to the closet. Next, Serena looks at Gerard, thinks about waking him up with their customary pot of coffee, and reconsiders. She leaves him snoring, slips her coat over her cashmere sleep suit, and goes outside in her slippers. As if propelled, Serena heads to a cafe and gets her favorite drink, a London fog. The lavender and bergamot of the Earl Grey dance with the milk and vanilla, and she is at peace. Her journey continues in Branchbrook Park. The cherry trees are just now blooming. Serena inhales the light, floral scent of the cherry blossoms, and the lavender has not yet left her tongue. It's just like her dream. Life could be a dream, the flowers seem to whisper. Serena is on a plane heading to Hawaii. She folds her hands over a simple sundress and goes to fiddle with the ring that is no longer on her finger. Before she can dwell on the shock of the tan line or the pain of the split, a handsome stranger sits down next to her. He smells warm, like amber, and his voice is gravelly. It reminds her of the earth. It reminds her of flowers. When he rises and taps her shoulder, she follows. Before, Serena would never have been charmed by sex in an airplane bathroom. Disgusting, she would say. Now, the idea isn't so bad. When the handsome stranger asks for her number at the end of the flight, Serena gets a digit wrong on purpose. In Hawaii, Serena wears a bright yellow halter top and black cargo shorts. She looks like a bumblebee in hiking boots, and she delights in the sound of the bees and butterflies floating by. With a camera in her hands, Serena gets to know every flower. She frames lush tropical blooms in her viewfinder and loses track of time. Finally, the sunset guides her home. She tucks a hibiscus behind her ear and a single bee shoots into the cool air. Serena feels sorry to have ruined its day, but the buzzing is music to her ears. And what a joy to share the flower with this little creature. Serena is in Bali now, like Julia Roberts in that movie. She follows Stefan's wiry frames. He shows her the mushrooms that are good to eat, the ones that kill you, and the magical ones that do something in between. Stefan cooks Serena dinner with the spoils of their adventure and goods from a nearby market. They clink wine glasses and share a long, passionate kiss. He tastes like the mango and coconut they had from dessert, pink blossom from Saba Bay. In the morning, Serena stretches out luxuriously, lighting her foot outside of the covers to escape the heat. Stefan brings her a cup of rich green tea with a single ice cube that melts quickly. 
Later, they sit together on the patio, snuggling under a blanket on the couch and laughing euphorically. Serena puts her head on Stefan's shoulder and their bodies seem to merge. She gazes into the lush greenery and a view of the ocean. The world is reflected in her eyes, her pupils dilated. Light gives way to darkness and Serena leaves with a suitcase. Stefan smokes indifferently on the porch, like he's burning every good memory they shared. Serena has never felt so small. She looks away from Stefan and toward the plumeria flowers. They're speaking, she cannot hear. Still, Serena goes to pray. She learns that plumeria signifies purity of heart, and it's no coincidence she looked toward them the day she left Stefan. His drug problem was getting worse. She suspects he broke his rule of only indulging in the fruits of the earth, and she broke every rule of her own. Inspired by shattered promises, Serena goes back to the earth in all its steadfastness. Each day, she swims in the florist sea. She goes searching for waterfalls and bathes naked in a slow-moving river surrounded by lotus flowers. Slowly, the light returns to Serena's life. It's softer now, like the first light that filters through her eyelids in the morning, not the blinding light when she looks too directly at the sun. Serena rubs her eyes and feels the chill almost immediately. Gerard is snoring next to her. The sun has just now risen. She looks at the ring still on her finger and understands everything. Serena hangs up her suit, pulls a robe over her body, and brews a jasmine tea. She sits down at her desk, begins drafting her letter of resignation, and wakes her husband. No coffee? he asks. We need to talk, she says as she pours honey into her tea and thinks of the bees. Serena takes a deep breath and smells the faint scent of flowers. It's coming from the bouquet she bought herself yesterday on the way home from work, on a whim. She looks at them for strength, to break the silence that has filled the room, because Gerard knows exactly what is coming, and so does she. Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Hold up. 